The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Now, when I jumped up, I appeared eager, and that is the truth about that. But in addition to that, look at there. Y'all, that's my niece right there, and she just shocked the fool out of me. All right, I'll try to start over now. Good to see you, Miss Catherine. But I probably appeared eager, but really what it is, I know how long-winded I am, and I know I better get started. So we're going to jump right in here in just a moment. I would be amiss, however, if I did not mention just how blessed I am to be here. I have known your preacher, Dave Leonard, for a number of years. As a matter of fact, a little bit over 20 years. It's been about how long it was, and he has impressed me the entire time I've known him. And so I was thrilled when he offered the invitation to me to do this. Uh, previously and initially when he offered the invitation, he gave me a list of dates and assigned each of those dates, which I didn't know at the time. And there was a song to back that up and a verse of a song to back that up. So I just picked the date out of thin air and it went really well because the song he assigned me and the verse I was assigned for last month was so easy. Man, it was so easy. And I thought to myself, well, I got it made. I got a busy summer and it won't be a lot to get ready for that. So I'm looking forward to it. And then my wife rounded the corner and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm talking to Dave Leonard. Fast forward, she let me know right quick my schedule didn't line up with that, <laughs> even though I thought it had. And so I had to beg back later, and I drew out of a hat, really, this July 13th date, and he gave me another song, and I thought, that is easy, too. Boy, this is going to be great. I had a song that included a phrase, the bright and morning star. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, Matthew 2, we'll jump on that. We'll talk about those uh, shepherds and wise men and all them gathering headed toward uh, the birth of our Lord and trying to witness that. And then I thought, and I read the phrase, I found the phrase, and I read the phrase, and I thought, that ain't what that is. I'm in bad shape. And so about the last two months, I have spent struggling and toiling. And Norm, you probably understand this as deep as you dig into Scripture trying to get to the bottom of what the phrase, the bright and morning star, has to do with. Now, it's the second verse in Near to the Cross that reads something like this, Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There's a bright and morning star shed his beams around me. Now, perhaps last week when you started examining the verses from this song, I'm assuming examine verse 1, if not, I kind of got janked out on this because I got the difficult verse. But uh, anyway, when I first started examining that, looking at it, and I started digging into the song, I discovered that this song is one of many, many in your hymnals written by a young lady by the name of Fanny J. Crosby. Now, she was living a long time before us, and my understanding is she was either blind from birth Albeit, she says about six weeks. Doctors say now it may have been birth, but nonetheless, blind all of her life. And in spite of that, is supposed to have written between, this is a wide range, six to 9,000 hymns during her lifetime and blind. And that impresses me. It really impresses me that she could write those things or have them at least to be maybe dictated. I don't know how that worked, but it also impressed me because as I got to looking at some of the list of the songs that are really very, very common in many of our hymnals, a awful lot, a tremendous amount, probably 100% if I'd have taken the time, six to 9,000 I didn't, uh, but are so scripturally based. 
So even being blind, she must have had such a knowledge of the scripture, at least a familiarity with it, that within itself is impressive. And so this song that has been chosen for the month, Near to the Cross, and, and all the beauty of it, is just to me, just amazing. Matter of fact, I've got access to digital things on my phone, and I listened to it on the way over here, and I felt myself tearing up a few times to consider uh, the power that is behind that hymn, but not because of some lady who lived decades and, and centuries ago, but because of the power that she must have pulled off these pages to be non-miraculously inspired to write these songs. And so I want to deal with this song and really one phrase out of it that I quoted just a moment ago. She said, near the cross, and then she added to that, she was there beneath the bright and morning star and those beams that shone around her. So I want to deal with that phrase, that bright and that morning star tonight. And I want to do that from three perspectives. I'll give you the Cliff's notes on this, and that way when I don't finish, and I know I won't, but when I don't, you'll at least have the basic outline. We're going to mention it from three perspectives. Number one, we first want to talk about the mentions. And I mean by that, where is that phrase mentioned, if it is, in the Bible as a whole, that exact phrase, where is it mentioned, and so where is that? And are there some other references, and I'm doing this because there are, that are kind of veiled, maybe a little bit different wording, or maybe a little bit different meaning behind that, that we can examine and try to get a grasp on what that must mean, that bright and morning star. Secondarily, and we'll come to this after that, a little bit more quickly, but we're going to talk about the myths, or you might even call it the mysteries, behind the phrase, the bright and morning star, because I've been blown away for about two months now, nearly every night. I put my kids to bed, I put my wife to bed, and then I go and study more. And I've been blown away just by some of the mystery or the myth that comes in to just that simple phrase, the bright and morning star. We're going to deal with at least two of those. There are probably 30. We're going to deal with two of those, Lord willing, as we get to it. And then finally, we're going to get down to the bottom of this, and this is directly and, and surely where I want to get in the end of this, and that is I want to examine with you basically the message. What can we learn or what should we learn from considering that bright and morning star? As we've already been by that point have revealed that that is Jesus, okay? That's your cheat sheet. That's your jump to the end. That's it. The bright and morning star is represented of Jesus. So as we do that, let's start out in Revelation chapter 22. So you'll go all the way down to the back end of your Bibles. Get down to Revelation chapter 22. When you get there, let's start examining not just one verse, but at least the context of Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. So Revelation 22 and verse 16. I want to begin a reading with you. I'll be using the King James translation, but I want to begin reading with you in verse 12. So Revelation 22 and verse 12. Here's what it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work it shall be. I, this is Jesus speaking, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, for they have the right to the tree of life, and enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and oremongers and murderers and idolaters and whatsoever loveth and maketh a lie. And I, Jesus, this is it, verse 16. For I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you the things that are in the churches. For I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 
So that song that's being examined this month, written by Fanny J. Crosby, verse 2, that has that phrase in it, this is the only time in the entirety of the Bible where that exact phrase, the bright and morning star, is used. That's the one time. However, there are a couple of other places we want to view just very quickly to get a grasp or an understanding just how common this theme or how common that idea of Jesus being the bright and morning star is. And he just told us that he was that. So let's back up really quick. You're in Revelation chapter 22. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. That won't be but a few pages back over for you. But go over with me to Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to notice what is said in the context really of the whole chapter. But particularly, we'll get all the way down to about verse 28-ish, okay? Right in that area, at least, around verse 28. But if you want to look at the book of Revelation from one perspective, we already understand that the entirety of the book, to some extent, is written in what is known as apocalyptic language. And I didn't say that good. I got tongue-tied. But it's written in a language to which many times what you're looking at is not just a passage as in a book, chapter, verse, a fact that is known. It's clear. There's no doubt about it. There's no argument. There's no question. You're looking at things that are written with a veil over it. Things that are written from a perspective that you've got to do some thinking and really you've got to do some educating of yourself to understand those. And really that doesn't start in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. It really starts back in having a whole grasp and an understanding of everything that you can learn about our Lord through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It takes place in having an understanding or a grasp of near about the whole and entire of the Old Testament, particularly when you get down to the prophets and such as that and some of the things that were spoken and some of the things that were promised or prophesied that would come. And it really gets down to understanding that page that exists between the Old and the New Testaments where you find a blank page that is representative of an intertestamental period is how we refer to it now because we're educated. Uh, but it's really a period of time of about 400 years where there was kind of sort of darkness that was across the world. Where there was no revelation of our God. Where there was no new information that was being offered. And where people were living in a time where unfortunately because of them turning their backs upon God. As they exited the Old Testament. They were in dire straits in need of something that would come like a bright and morning star. And then you get down to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And you have here the Apostle John recording the words of our Lord and, and the angel it's referred to. And he's telling those seven churches of Asia their problems, their issues, and ultimately he's making to them promises. And if you want to just tag these, I'll give them to you very quickly. In chapter 2 and verse 1, we're introduced to the church at Ephesus. That's the first one. In chapter 2 and verse 8, we're introduced to the church that was existing in Smyrna or in and around that area. In chapter 2 and verse 12, we're introduced to the church in Pergamos. In chapter 2 and verse 18, we're introduced to the church at Thyatira, to whom this phrase is being used. You go across or, or turn a page, if you will. We learn about the church at Sardis in chapter 3 and verse 1. We learn about the church in Philadelphia in chapter 3 and verse 7. And we in turn then learn about the church of the Laodiceans in chapter 3 and verse 14. And it's within that, in that message that he's giving to those seven churches, specifically the church at Thyatira. I want to pick up the reading there and see the context and one of the things that he says specifically unto them. So let's look at it. Beginning in verse, let's pick up the reading at least in verse number 12. 
I mean, Revelation 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, I write these things, and he which hath a sharp sword and the two-edged, he says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and thou hast denied my faith, even in those days where in Antipas, and my faithful martyr, and was slain among you, and where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, he says, verse 14. Because thou hast there them some hold of doctrine of Balaam and taught of Balak and cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication, so that thou hast also in them the, church, the doctrine of the, of the Nicolaitans, which, which thing I hate. Repent or else. I'm in verse 16 now of chapter 2. Repent or else I will come to thee quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth and he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh I will give unto them the hidden manna and a white stone and the stone in the name that is written thereof and the saving that receive it. And then we get down to Thyatira we could read through all the problems and issues that they have. You get across the page there down to verse 28 of chapter 2 and here's what he says. I will give to them the morning star. That's the first time in the letter of the Revelation in which that phrase, the morning star, is being used. Now, he's talking about stars. He's talking about men who take up positions as stars. He sometimes refers to some of those men similarly as angels. He's talking about something that stands up, that stands in front of, that stands before, that can be seen, that can be a guide, that can be an inspiration to those that see it. But in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 28, as we just read it, he uses the phrase, the bright and morning star. And that is the context, believe it or not, that you have to put the reference in Revelation 22 and verse 16 in. You say, preacher, that's difficult. Are you telling me to understand Revelation 22 and 16? My context began back in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, uh, 28. Yeah, that's about it. But I got bad news unless you're a Bible student. It did not start there. There are many other references albeit veiled references throughout your Old and New Testament that all point back to the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus being Revelation 22 and verse 16, the bright and morning star. Now that's what we'll do for time. There are plenty, plenty more. Now let's move into the next phrase, phase of this, and this is where we really need to spend a little bit more time anyway. Let's talk about the myths or the mysteries that surround that phrase or the idea of the bride and morning star. The first one is the most physical. And that is if you go back into Jesus' day, time of recording of the revelation or really any of the time that he lived when he was being recorded as the gospel accounts on this earth, and before that, far before that, what you learn is that those people were very astrologically minded, many of them. And what I mean by that is they oftentimes reflected to the heavens as an example or a picture, that's the key word here, of the things that they knew of God. That's where we get what the psalmist says about the heavens declaring the glory of God in His handiwork. 
And albeit those things were only physical pictures that they saw, they sometimes heard the spiritual applications as they reflected on them. And this was oftentimes done even by our Lord when He stood on earth in the fact that He taught in parables. Now you're probably very familiar with the term parable. We taught our children in grade school and coming up, I learned it myself as well, that a parable is an earthly story with an heavenly meaning. I like to change that a bit because it is far more than an earthly story with an heavenly meaning. It is an earthly truth that stands beside a spiritual or heavenly truth. And when our Lord taught many times, especially I think about a lot of it on the Sermon on the Mount, I can only understand, even though that's not written in parable, such as you find in Matthew 13, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, uh, 6, and 7, Jesus a lot of times, I can only assume as he sat there or stood there speaking to those people, he probably made reference and he probably pointed at this group or at this place or at this stone or at this man who happened to be walking by or at this seaside or whatever it was. And very physically he said, you look at that, you see that, you you understand that. Now let me share with you the spiritual truth that is represented of that. And I said that to explain the fact that many people in and before and around Jesus' day, they looked to the heavens for some sort of a guide, for some sort of an idea as to what they would ultimately see spiritually. And that in that, in Jesus' day and just prior to such, they thought of the morning star as being that of the planet we know as Venus. Okay? You say, well, why would that have mattered? Because the morning star in their minds, as they saw it physically, was the evening and the morning star. It was a thing that came up before the sun rose. It was a thing that was still representative and going down as the sun went away. And they thought of those things, not understanding what they were, as nothing but stars, including a planet we call Venus. And even today. I was sitting outside, and I'm not an astronomer or an astrologist or anything like that, so if I'm ignorant of this, you can correct me all you want. This is just my understanding of it. Sitting out in the yard the other day, 4.30 in the afternoon, look up in the sky, one of my little girls came by and said, look, the moon. And me being a smart aleck, having studied this recently, I said, that might be Venus. That, that might not be the moon. Because I, why did I think that? It's broad daylight. We're three, four hours from darkness in Alabama. We're a long way from darkness, but we could see that. And the reason it's so noticeable in the sky, you know, and from understanding our solar system now, we've got the sun in the center of those things. We've got the next planet out of Mercury. We've got the next planet out of Venus. Then we've got the next one out, which is us, and it's Earth. Beyond that, we have Mars. And the two most likely planets for us to see with a naked eye in the night sky, or in the day sky for that matter, in this case, would be that of Venus and or Mars. And the reason we can see it, now this is geeky, greeky, scientific, whatever. The reason that we can see that physically is because it is said to reflect about 86%, I don't have 86 fingers, I'm, I do this a lot, 86% of the sun uh, sun's light is reflected from the surface of Venus because of its thick atmosphere. 
to put that in comparison state, only 15% of our moon is doing the same. And you know how it is when the moon comes through the window at night and you have to get up and, and kind of move the shade or pull the curtain and do something so you can rest. You see, that physical picture was great. Even though they misunderstood what was happening. <coughs> Excuse me. Even though they misunderstood the representation of it. They saw the bright and morning star of that which brought in the sun. They saw the bright and morning star, that which basically carried the hand of the sun as it resolved from the skies. And that's the way they understood it. So you get down to Revelation chapter 2, verse 28. You get down to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16, and our Lord Jesus knew what they thought. He knew what they saw. He had been the one who had hung those things in the sky. He knew the understanding of that. So when he tells those people in that day, I am the bright and the morning star, he knew exactly what they would imagine and he was telling them, I am the greatest light that you see as your day begins and as it ends. That's a picture from the past. A part of myth, but yet a part of mystery. However, that's not all. We also have to understand that there are some myths, if you will, some misunderstandings that come in. I've, I've heard this question. I've definitely examined this question the last two or three months, at least, in looking at this. But there are some myths that come in and some misunderstandings in that some would report, well, the bright and morning star, why is Jesus claiming to be such? Revelation 22 and verse 16. But yet Satan was said, supposedly. See these quotes? supposedly to be such in the Old Testament. Let's look at that passage. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to examine it. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. This will be way back for quite a while, but go back to the book of Isaiah with me for just a moment. And I want you to, to get some kind of a grasp or some type of an understanding as to what is reported. Because again, the morning star has been reported at least, or purported to be Satan in the Old Testament, yet Jesus in the New. And is that a contradiction? Let's look at the text. In Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Isaiah chapter 14, read with me beginning in verse 12. Here's what it says. Now you'll hear the phrase, it'll jump off the page, and, and if you're like I am and you're any type of Bible student, you'll say, don't sound right, but maybe it what? Because you're going to take the Bible as literally as, as literally as you can until you're shown to be different. Revelation, I'm sorry, not Revelation, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven? Again, this is King James translation. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, you can say out loud, who do we think about when we think about Lucifer? The devil. Satan. And here's what it says. O thou Lucifer, the son of the morning, the son of the morning. How is he the son of the morning, or you might call it the morning star? Well, first of all, we won't read all of it. But if you read that account as recorded in Isaiah chapter 14, you learn that there is a terrible picture that's drawn about this, whomever this is. 
and we learn about how supposedly, according to reading this, supposedly we're being told that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, has at one point been that morning star. And this phrase exactly, the son of the morning. See, the word Lucifer means the light bearer. This in some senses may be the name of the devil or Satan before he got the name the devil. Sort of kind of like Saul was Saul before he became Paul. Or Abraham was Abram before he became Abraham. And you read about it and you see that it describes whomever, whatever this is. And says, verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the mouth. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the most high. So it seems to describe something about possibly Satan trying to lift himself up with God. As a matter of fact, uh, this has been a difficult subject to deal with. My most difficult is in three weeks when I'm going to be talking about the fall of Satan on a summer series. So, Norm, if you're available, I can get sick and send you right on over for that one. Honeyola, Alabama, be there. Folks, I don't have time to debride the point anymore. There's a possibility, a likelihood here that this reference to Lucifer is not speaking about the devil himself. It may not be the best word-for-word word evidence of how Satan fell and why he fell and such. I do think it is available to such. It's most likely in the context referring to the kings of Babylon, not any specific one, but all of them. And how it could even refer to, if it were written today or penned today, refer to me. And that any time I take myself and my life and I do what I want to do instead of what God told me to do, I've lifted myself up onto His throne. And I too will be cast down. And so if I were to call myself the son of the morning, or I were to call myself the light bearer, or I were to call myself the morning star, it's only a figment of my imagination. God has not fallen or failed in His duties and His role. But I only point that out because that's some of the myth. I don't need anyone to leave this building and go home, and hopefully you will. As a Bible student, you'll keep studying, and you'll go to Revelation 22 and verse 16 and say, well, I want to review what he said. Let's check, check me out, by the way. But then you get home, and you, you hit the Google search like I have, and you say, wait a minute. <laughs> this is talking about Satan in the Old No, it's not. No, it's not. And even if it were, that's the veiled reference to the Old Testament, which I think is picturesque of perhaps the mindset of some men. How they may have thought themselves to be above God. How they may have lifted themselves up to be above God and on His throne. But yea, we're not. That has to do with the myth or the mystery behind it. Now we're in the third point, and we're running out of time quickly. Not only the mentions, Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, and also chapter 2 and verse 28... Not only the myths, as we just described, the physical one, albeit was a teaching point of the God of heaven in illustration, or Satan and his potential to be the same, or at least to consider himself the same. But what about the message? What about what being here that's being said is true? Let's go all the way back. You're in the book of Revelation, so you're right here in the back end. Go all the way back to the beginning. And let's start just thinking about we've got to move quickly. 
So you'll have to move as I move. But go back to the book of Genesis, go to chapter 1, go to verse 1. You see, as the Lord Jesus is closing out the entirety of God's revelation by chapter 22 of Revelation, so also everything was introduced in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 beginning. Let's just read it. You'll be able to quote it in your minds anyway, most of us. Here's what it says. In the beginning was God. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Now, it's interesting to me that we're not introduced to God here. He's just interjected. It's just, bam, there's God. No explanation, no, no excuse, no pedigree needed. He's just God, and here's what he did. The next verse goes on and says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness, you can underline that in your minds, was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. You see, what is the morning star representative of in any of these cases? Light. That which illuminates. That which revelates. That which does these things. In the beginning there was God. He created this earth and there was light. Verse 4, And God saw the light and it was good. And He divided the light from the darkness. That's exactly what Jesus has done. He's taken the darkness of this life, the darkest days of my life for yours, and he gives hope and possibility to the light that is offered through him and only by him. You go on and reading there in verse 5, and God called the light day. Now, if you'll notice, and I don't, I don't know if this is very significant, but I do appreciate the translators and the printers of the copy that I happen to hold. This is King James translation, a Holman Bible. Uh, it's right here printed, and God called the light day. The word day for me is capitalized. Now, that doesn't mean squat when you're talking about God's inspiration, but it may be a handy indicator or a tool to make me think. Why would the day be capitalized or emphasized so early on? Because I think the day and the light of it follows all the way to the very last page. That's Jesus. Yes, he was present in the creation, enlisted in other means. He was there as a part of our image. He was a pair there apparently as the word that was being representative here and that was calling these things into existence. But Jesus was present there if by no other means in that he was that light. And he remained so. Now, that's Genesis chapter 1. Go with me now to another reference. We're going to move through these just bam, bam, bam. There are many others that fell in between them. But go with me to the book of Numbers. Go with me to the book of Numbers. Now, we've got Balaam, Numbers chapter 24. Balaam, who is basically being called upon to be a false prophet, albeit he can't speak against God, he has to admit so, and he begins to give a series of prophecies that I don't suppose Balaam understood at all. The men around him likely didn't understand very much. And he makes this reference in, in uh, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. And I see him. He said, I see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but, now, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter 
shall rise out of Israel. Now, we haven't taken the time to emphasize it, but in Revelation 22, in verse 16, before the star is mentioned, the bright and morning star is mentioned, also is the root and the offspring of David, which is tied back to this verse. Just tie that in your notes and dig it out at home. Keep up the greeting there. Move on. Let's go to the next reference, and I'm skipping and skipping and skipping. Go to the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. When you get to Malachi chapter 4, that's the last chapter, the last book. There are some things that are being said that are just terrible and awful and, and just ungodly in the way that men were living and the practices that they were doing and the way that they were robbing God of what He was to be offered and the gifts that God ought to be done through worship and other means. And in Revelation, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, here's what Malachi writes. But unto you that fear my name shall the, here's this phrase, very similar, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing wings. What do you mean, Malachi? I don't have time to describe that. But I'll tell you this. It's a similar thing mentioned of the same character. That is Jesus. He will rise up. And so what's being promised here, right here in the darkest time of God's existence, listed here, Malachi chapter 4. Right before that blank page I made reference to just a moment ago, the intertestamental period where there was no revelation, right, right there at the end of that, the promise was made, if you will respect, honor me, you shall receive the Son of Righteousness. Turn another page or two. Go to Matthew chapter 2. You know the account. Mary has been promised preceding verses that she would have a child born of the Spirit. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Joseph is told about that. Verse uh, really 19 and forward of chapter 1. His name shall be called Jesus. Chapter 1 of Matthew. Verse 25. Chapter 2. And now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there came a wise man from the east of Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his... Star. You see, we've got light. We've got the sun of righteousness. We've got stars in this case that are pointing toward Jesus. Keep up the reading. It says he is the Christ. I mean, that's represented in verse 4. You go down to verse 7. It's called the star that has appeared. Verse 9, chapter 2 of Matthew. Lo, the star. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Here's the phrase. They rejoiced and were exceedingly great joy. What should I do when I see in perspective the star have exceeding great joy? So what do we know? We don't know nearly enough as of yet. But we know one thing. Standing near the cross, as Fanny J. Crosby recorded just from her mind and through what she must have known about Scripture, she understood that in the darkest days and amongst the most terrible of nights, it was possible to see the morning star. It is possible to rise up one day in judgment and to stand before the very throne of God. And because of him hanging there on that cross to be a witness and to be a part 
of that morning star. Not any, but the only bright and morning star. We got five minutes, four minutes, three minutes, two minutes. I've got about 36 more verses. We won't touch any of them. There are references upon references upon references throughout your New Testament that point to our Lord Jesus as light. One of the most common ones, and you can go to this one here, is found in the book of John. You're in Matthew, so turn to your right a little bit farther. Get with me to the book of John for just a moment. John chapter 1, we have here, In the beginning was a word, reference to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. That's verse 3 of John 1. Verse 4, For in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And darkness, this is one of my favorite phrases in John, this early in comprehendeth it not. Now I did my hand this way because the description is it cannot contain it. It cannot overcome it. It cannot stop it. It cannot dissipate it. The light that is being mentioned here is a reference to our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and He cannot be overcome. Now you fast forward in the mind of John. You can find similar accounts in Matthew's account as well as Luke's also, even Mark, all of the Gospels. You find that scene where Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And you remember there was a part of that during the midst of that day while he was hanging there and it was reported very clearly that darkness fell upon all the earth. But darkness only preceded that which is brightest, and that is our Lord. Now I'm adding to this, that's my disclaimer, this is my imagination, it's not scripture within itself to directly support such, but you find the record at the very end of John's account, and you go over to the book of Acts, you look in Acts chapter 1, you find those disciples there, they're I guess on some sort of a hillside, there they were, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and it says there, why stand ye gazing into heaven? For that same Jesus which you have seen, why would they look to heaven? Well, that's where he was returning to for one. I imagine they were just as overcome and overwhelmed with his brightness such as they must have seen in the Mount of Transfiguration recorded in the account of Matthew in chapter 17 as they would have been as Saul was when he fell upon his face as recorded in Acts chapter 7 because he had been taken down by a great, great light. And we'll let the classes return, and I'll have about five minutes after that, and I promise you we're going to tie this up. Thank you for your attention. I want you all to do something for me when Dave gets back. And uh, you'll understand this when I explain it, but I want you to tell Dave specifically. I want, many, I want several of you to do this. You don't have to explain. Just do it. <laughs> Say, Jim filled your shoes very well while he was here. That exact phrase now. Jim filled your shoes very well while he was here. Here's why I want you to say that. This shoe right here, and I'll probably throw myself on the floor. That's Dave Leonard's shoe. <laughs> he was at Aronathan last year at some point, and I guess they got uncomfortable. I don't know the real story behind it, but he took his shoes off and threw them in Cliff Goodwin's office and said, I don't want them. Keep them. Give them away to somebody or something. 
and he put it on his tennis shoes and came back home. I guess he got fed up with these. I've worn them ever since, and they feel great to me. Uh, they fit. Cliff said, do you want them? I said, yes. And so I'm tired to tell everybody, I can feel Dave Leonard's shoes. I can definitely do it. They fit well. So there they are. But go ahead and take your attention back over to the Scripture for just a moment. We've been all over the place, really, but specifically in Revelation chapter 22, as the record has it in verse 16, in referencing the song, and we just led the verse from verse 2, that phrase, the bright and morning star. And we tried to describe just a little bit. We didn't hit top side or bottom of it. I admit that. I'm sorry about that. I'll come back the next 25 years and we'll get to it if you'd like. But uh, we tried to make reference to that and tried to understand it a bit. And that is what types of things were noticed. We made note of the mentions of it. We mentioned a couple of myths or mysteries that surround that phrase, the bright and morning star. And we've been discussing in the last few minutes at least some of the meanings some of the representations of that phrase or what Jesus may have meant when he said, I am the bright and morning star. So several places we didn't get to and that we didn't get to examine, but I do want to look at at least one more before we close tonight. I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Peter. So just go back to your left just a little bit at least. Go back with me to the book of 2 Peter. And when you get down to the book of 2 Peter, I want you to notice with me just something that Peter makes mention of and the way that he describes it and, and the things that he says that seem to have a veiled reference again to this idea of Jesus being the bright and morning star. So you're in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't have time to cover the context. I'd love to. But look in verse 18. 2 Peter 1 and verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard and when we were with him in that holy mount. Now he's making, Peter's making a reference or a remembrance to the transfiguration. Peter's saying, I was there. I was a witness. I saw Jesus being transfigured. And if you read the accounts of the transfiguration, what happened in that moment was Jesus' face, it seemed, to have shone as if it were the sun. That, that's what actually Peter says is, to me, it looked like he was the son. Now, he saw, of course, along beside him, Moses and Elijah and all, and he talked about wanting to raise up uh, temples or at least statues to them and to honor them, of which, all of which were worthy of honor, no more than our Lord. But in verse 18 of this chapter, chapter 1 of Peter, he says, this is what I saw in the holy mountain. And he says, we, verse 19 have also a more sure word of prophecy, as if all the prophets lined up together weren't enough. We have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein we do well, and we take heed unto, here it is, a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What are you talking about, Peter? Peter said, when I saw my Lord that day in a way in which I had never once seen him before, and remember, Peter had been with the Lord about three, three and a half years along with the other apostles and many of the thousands and throngs of people who were exposed to him and heard his teaching, saw his wondrous works and such. But Peter said it was that day on the Mount of Transfiguration that I was able to look to our Lord, to Jesus, and I would have seen with him, within him a light a light that darkness could not overcome, a light that dawned in the day 
and a light in which the star was to arise and should arise in your hearts. Now, who's Peter pointing at? He's pointing at me. He's pointing at you and you and, and all of us together, collectively and individually. He's saying you need to allow the morning star to arise in your hearts. You need to allow the day star to be a part of your life. And when the darkest days, such as we mentioned in the last, I almost said hours, hadn't been another hour, has it? But in the last few minutes, and we looked at the book of Malachi chapter 4, and we examined just a few scriptures from that, and the idea was in the darkest time of this world, of this age, when the revelation of God was not represented, those who would overcome, those who would respect, would also see the Son of Righteousness arising in their hearts. Same idea, same phrase. So I can only imagine Fanny J. Crosby, who happens to be the author of the song, again, her words mean nothing, save they were backed up by Scripture in this case. But Fanny J. Crosby is reported after being blind her entire life, having recorded supposedly between six and 9,000 hymns during her lifetime in spite of the fact that she was blind. She was asked on one occasion by J.L. Moody, who was interviewing her, said, Miss Fanny said, if you could have but one wish in your life, what would it be? And of course, he assumed like any of us, well, she would want her sight. I mean, if she had had her sight all these years, what wonderful works could she have done? What, what abilities and talents could she have developed beyond what she has? She supposedly looked to him and said, I would, would that God would remain or have me to be blind until my death. In order that, the first face I might see in glory would be my Jesus. Oh, my lands. Would you not? Would that we could be blind, maybe not physically, but that we might be blind in this life so that nothing once would catch our attention or distract us from the life that we have so that we could arise as well to see that bright and morning star and have its beams as the song records and the scripture basically describes to wrap around us and to encapsulate our minds and our hearts and more than that, our souls. That bright and morning star. Let me list to you just a few things the bright and morning star has the ability to do and for that matter has done. And those of us who lonely but look to it. Number one, I think about it and I say, well, the bright and morning star, it was, it was something of that which brought realization. You know, Peter's recording right here in this part of the, his account in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, as we have it divided out for, for really for convenience, Peter's recording a time when a realization came that Jesus is this. He is the brightness. He is the one who contains within him all the brightness. He is the one to whom I look. He is the point upon which I focus. He is the one that deserves all those things and all the credit and all the clout for everything that he's able to do. Realization. Number two, the bright and morning star brings illumination. You see, John's account, Peter's account, uh, Malachi's account, uh, any of the accounts represent light for its main purpose in our lives, and that is to bring, John says, the light that was the life of men. Illumination. Jesus was reported as saying and recorded John's account as well. When asked by his disciples, would you but show us the Father, 
Jesus' basic answer in a nutshell, you've already seen him. John's account also, chapter 1, the Word that became flesh that dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, verse 14, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 says, no man has seen God at any time. You say, wow, is that, is that true? Is that possible? In one sense, absolutely. But He also reveals there that you've seen me. We saw Jesus. We see Jesus and He is it. Realization, illumination, revelation, all the great things that we have that are seen, that are represented here in this Word and throughout this book. Again, we didn't get the time, nor would we take it to track it, but you can track the light of our Lord from the very first chapter and the first page and the very last, and even beyond that into eternity. That's the bright and morning star. We learn for the bright and morning star that we have the opportunity and the possibility of salvation. Salvation. Jesus said in one passage, of course he referenced this type of thing in so many, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now I hear the word life, he said the word life, not denying that, and the zoe, the life. But again, the same record, John, the life was the light of men. He can even give us tonight restoration. You see, if you're here this evening, you're not a child of God. It's through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, you put on Christ. Your sins can be remitted, can be washed away. You can now walk, as the Roman letter says, in newness of life. You can have that. You can possess that. You can spend the entirety of your life. And, and I, wouldn't only, I wouldn't do it for, I pulled off my shoe while I go, so why not? But we can lay on our faces for the rest of our lives and look up to nothing more than the cross and see in that picture that bright and morning star. That's salvation that comes through this bright and morning star, the light. And then there's also the opportunity this evening and that is not one of what we've mentioned, but adding to that, that of restoration. How do you get back on path? How if we stumble, and we do, and, and the opportunity and the time in which we might stumble and do, how do we come home? By turning our focus back toward the light. You see, the thing is, Albeit the bright and morning star meant so much to so many people from so many directives and perspectives, none is ever greater than that which is recorded in Scripture right here. It's not about illustration. It's about information. It's about what we know about the God of heaven to whom we serve. And the son that he was willing to give to this world, even it be for just a time, to die on our behalf. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, the invitation is open. A song has been selected. I know it will be very encouraging to you. If you're more like I am, and I've lost focus, I'm here to, I will make my confession tonight. I'll beg my restoration tonight in examining this. I have not nearly enough seen the star. I would be like those wise men, those shepherds. And to not only see that star, but to follow it until its end. To be a part of our Lord. And to not stand to see Him afar off. But to again one day be in His presence.
The invitation is open and it's yours while together we stand and as we sing.